You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. There is a mistake that parents make. We make it all the time. And it's this. We make the mistake of focusing, of making our goal that our kids not do bad things. Don't say bad things. Don't think bad things. Don't approve of bad things. The mistake is is that we leave out a vision for what it would be like to do and think and say and love good things. Right? Abstinence isn't the point. Godliness is the point. And look, I get it. I have a teenager who's not here, which means I can talk about him. Right? A teenager. And he's, he's generally a good kid, but the possibilities of all the bad things that he could do on any given day are mind-boggling. Right? There are so many opportunities to do bad things. And if I'm honest, there are so many days where that's how I would define success, that he didn't do any bad things. But that's not really what I want for him. I want him to know what it's like to walk with God. I want him to experience the real presence and power of God in his life. I want him to taste and see that he's good. I want him to walk in wisdom. That's what I want for my kids. So I have this picture of what I want my kids to be. But the real question is this. Am I parenting them them in a way that actually helps them become that? I guess it probably just depends on the moment, like at what point you're judging my parenting, right? At, at the very best, it's a, mixed, it's a mixed bag. There are huge gaps between what I want for my kids and when it comes down to it, the way that I actually parent them. Now, this isn't a sermon on parenting. I, I'm giving you that illustration uh, to make this connection. That reality, those gaps are true in all our lives. Just think about what it means for you to follow God. There is some picture, some vision of the kind of person you want to be, isn't there? But the question is, is, does the way that you actually live your life get you to that vision? There are gaps in our lives. Like, I, uh, I think of myself as a pretty nice guy. And that's not always how people experience me. At least that's what many of you have told me. Uh, I like to think of myself as a guy who really values and cares about community, but I find myself isolating in so many ways. I trust that you, you have these kinds of incongruencies. Please tell me. Okay, good. And so the question is, is how do we close these gaps? And I think this text in 2 Timothy 3 gives us some really helpful answers to that question. The big idea in all of chapter 3, this is why I had Brandon read the whole thing, uh, is, is that we're swimming upstream. And Paul says it in verse 12. He says, anyone who wants to live a godly life, if, if that's your goal, you will be persecuted. You're going to have to go against the grain because bad men will be going from bad to worse, deceiving and be, being deceived. That's the current of our day. And we looked at that last week. That's the first nine verses of chapter 3. It's characterized by people doing just a lot of bad things. And the reason they do those bad things is because of what they love. Paul says they love, they'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's, that's the current. That's the water that we swim in. 
Now, we look at a description like that, and, and we're prone to think, that's really bad. I mean, just read those verses. It's terrible stuff. And they, I don't think I'm that bad. I mean, I know I have issues, but I don't think I'm characterized by that. that that's good if you think that. But remember, Christianity is not just about not doing bad things, any more than parenting is not just about not having bad kids. There's a vision for good before us. The vision is about becoming the kind of people who think and feel and love and do the best things. And the way that God gets us there is through discipleship. This is a theme throughout this letter. Paul disciples and is discipling in this very letter his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And he tells Timothy to make disciples who will make disciples. This is God's plan for building his church on earth, disciples making disciples. And so here's what I want to propose to you today and what we want to talk about. Here it is. We live godly lives. Like if you're asking the question, how do we actually make progress in godliness towards this vision that I have? Here it is. We live godly lives by following godly people. And that might sound just a little bit off to you. Aren't we supposed to follow Jesus? Yes. But Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. And so don't separate these things too much in your mind. One of the primary ways I know what it means to follow Jesus is by following people who follow Jesus. We live godly lives by following godly people. So here's the first thing I want you to see. Discipleship means we follow Look at verse 10. Paul says, you, however, so in contrast to all the people doing bad things, you, Timothy, however, have followed. The word follow just means what you think it means. It means to to be with. There's a time and a proximity involved. You can also follow someone from afar, right? So some of you uh, maybe follow people in your industry, experts, leaders, means you listen to their podcasts, you read their articles, you keep up with their teachings, you, you study their life, you You follow them from afar. Both senses of the word come together here. It just means to bring your life under the influence of someone else, their life, their ideas, their teaching, such that it shapes you. To follow means to conform to some standard outside of myself. And that's why it's swimming upstream, because we live in a culture that prizes individualism and autonomy. Uh, The important thing in our culture is just to be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find your passions. Chase your dreams. That's not all entirely bad. But our culture elevates this value of individualism so much so that what ends up happening is, is we make the individual the standard. And so we look in and we end up really just following ourselves. And we love autonomy. We want to call the shots We want to be free to choose whatever is best for us. We don't actually want to choose anything because we also like to keep our options open. And choosing limits our options. But make no mistake about it. I am in charge of my lack of commitment. All right? I'm autonomous. Here's the thing. Uh, We like to think ourselves free and autonomous. but, But the truth is, everyone follows something. Even to follow your desires is to follow something, because where did those desires come from? Why do we want and prize individualism and autonomy? 
Like, these aren't universally held values, so why do we want them? Because they're enculturated values. We want autonomy because our culture preaches it, markets it, prods us in habits and practices that train us in individualism and autonomy. Everyone follows something. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world because that's a reality. That's actually what's happening. So if you don't think you're following anything, odds are you're just following the pattern of the world. Everyone follows something. So the critical thing then is to follow the right thing or the right person. The picture we get in the first nine verses is people who are going with the flow. They're following their heart, but their heart is oriented around a love of self. And now, starting in verse 10, we get a different picture altogether. Timothy has followed a different way. Look at it. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my persecutions and suffering. And so, why is Timothy where he is? Like, why hasn't he been swept up into the false teaching? Why isn't he a false teacher? Because he's followed Paul's teaching. How has Timothy managed to live a godly life amidst such ungodliness? Because he followed Paul's conduct, his way of life. How has Timothy managed to endure, and how will he endure such opposition? Because he followed Paul's persecutions and suffering. Timothy followed Paul as Paul followed Jesus. This is discipleship. If you want to live a godly life, if you're going to swim upstream, it means you have to follow. You have to let go of the control of your life and follow. You'll have to follow Jesus. You'll follow people who follow Jesus. And even more than that, people will follow you as you follow Jesus. In a culture of individualism and autonomy, we swim upstream by showing the beauty and the fruitfulness of following, of binding ourselves to someone and not having any other options. When I was uh, in junior high, I went to youth group because a girl invited me, and that's how all junior high boys do anything. And I met uh, the youth pastor there. His name was Kelly Hamilton. And he was really the first older person, older Christian that I'd ever gotten to know. And Kelly just let me be with him. Like he would let me in the gym to play basketball at all hours of the day. And uh, he, would, he would come to our high school. I went to church camp, really just hang out with him. And I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't following Jesus. But being with Kelly gave me a taste of what that would mean. And, and I didn't choose to follow Jesus at that time. Not for years but I had that taste. And every time I followed other things, there was always this taste and nothing ever quite tasted as good. When I got to college, I met a man named Jerry McCune. And he showed up at my door the second day of my freshman year looking for my roommate, but he wasn't there, so I got trapped for like hours. And um, I, I liked Jerry, though, and he let me be with him. I went to his Bible study, and he would come over and eat with me, and we would hang out. All the time. And when I think about just how foolish I was, I mean, I, this is not like self-deprecating. It's a reality. I was real dumb, real stupid. 
And how, how arrogant I was, claiming to know all this stuff that he clearly knew I, I didn't. And when I think about that, I just can't believe he would have spent that much time with me. How much he had to put up with to let me be with him. But, but Jerry baptized me. He baptized Debbie. He married us. I can't imagine being the person that I am without the influence of Jerry. I came on staff with Camp's Crusade. I went on, a camp, did campus ministry because of Jerry, because that's what Jerry did. I was like, well, I just want to be like that guy, so I'm doing that. And I showed up at the University of Texas in the year 2000 and uh, met a guy named Bob Thune. Bob was my age. And I was like, well, he can't be my leader. He's my age, right? But there's this other guy named David Thompson. He's older. I can follow that guy. And uh, David let me be with him. We would go to Kirby Lane in the morning for breakfast, and David, well, I say we would talk, but that just meant David would listen to me, because I would talk. And there were more than one occasions where the waitress would come to us at some point and ask if we wanted to order lunch, because I'd been talking for hours. In, In the early years of our marriage and in having children, David and his wife Karen were so influential in shaping us in life and in ministry. I mentioned Bob. I went up to Omaha to help Bob planted church. I thought he needed me. Yeah. The, re- the reality was I needed him, and I knew that. I had no clue what it meant to really be committed to a local church, much less to work for one. And, but I wanted to figure that out, and Bob gave me space to do that. He let me be with him, knowing that I may or may not like it and might just turn around and go back to Texas soon. But as I got to be with him, watch him do ministry, and learn from him, I, I can't imagine being the kind of person who would want to, much less be able to plan a church like this without having spent four years with Bob. I know that Todd can run off a list just like this of people that have had a shaping influence in his life. I know that Kendall can name me as a person having a shaping influence (laughs) in his life. But that's for real, actually. So my first year on staff with Crusade, I'm standing at the back of a weekly meeting and Kendall, this student who I'd probably talked to a handful of times, just walks up to me and says, hey, would you disciple me? I didn't know what that actually meant, but I knew that it was my job, and so I had to say yes. (laughs) And for us, what that meant was Paris, Texas platter, like every week. And so we would get together almost every week and just read a book together and talk about it and eat, eat some delicious food together. We did that for three years. When I moved to Omaha, Kendall helped me pack the truck, and he looked at me and he said, I don't know what this means, but I just know that I have a calling in life to serve you. Okay. I mean, man, the commitment in him to follow is glorious and beautiful and wise. And sure enough, he ended up in Omaha with us, and sure enough, he's back here in Texas with us. We share an office. We, just, we don't even want to be apart. We just like being together because we, we disciple one another. Do you want to live a godly life? I don't mean listen to good sermons or be a part of a community or serve others. That's all part of it, but that's not what I mean. Underneath all of that, what I'm asking you is, are you willing to follow? It's not a one-time decision. We decide to follow every day, and so let's talk about what it means to follow. Discipleship means to follow, but following means learning. That's what the word disciple means. It means learner. Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary, and I will give you rest. You all know that verse, right? Do you know what comes after it? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
So the relationship is a learning relationship. And Christian learning centers on three things, and, and Paul lists them out here. Look what he says in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, and my aim in life. I just want to look at these briefly. When Paul says my teaching, he's talking about the gospel. And there's lots of ways to prove that, but let me give you one from the first chapter of Second Timothy. He tells Timothy to suffer for the gospel, and then he kind of dispels that out, like what it is. He said, because God has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. And what did he do? He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then the next verse, Paul says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And so when Paul says, follow my teaching, he means follow this apostolic gospel, Christ crucified and raised from the dead. You heard Kendall say it a number of times today. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's just a nutshell. Right? We're just, we could look at every word in that sentence for sermons upon sermons, and we'd still just be scratching the surface of it. We would have said nothing about Paul's teaching on how everything in the Old Testament is the unfolding of God's redemptive plan, and it all points to the person and work of Christ. We would have said nothing about how when Christ came, the kingdom of God broke into our world and will be consummated when Christ returns. We wouldn't have even got there. Paul himself, when he's writing about God's redemptive plan, like in Romans 11, he's writing this all out. He himself comes to a point where he just goes, oh my gosh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. I can't stand it. How unsearchable are your judgments, O God? How inscrutable are your ways? The gospel is simple enough just, just to say in a nutshell, to learn in a moment, but rich enough that we're going to be exploring the depths of it for all eternity. So following means learning the content of the gospel. Get the basics down. Not just the language. Anybody can say gospel. But grasp the concepts. And then plumb the depths of this glorious good news. Paul says, follow my conduct. Which just means his way of life. So we're not just learning truth. We're learning truth that lives. A way of life. And Paul here gives a description of that. He says, my faith, my patience, my love... My steadfastness. It's not, a, it's not an exhaustive list of Christian conduct. It's just meant to be in contrast to the list that came before it. And you see this all throughout Paul's writings. You'll see a list of vices followed by a list of virtues. And the list of vices just communicates what it looks like to be to love self and follow that way. And the list of virtues just is a description of what it looks like to love God and love others and to follow in that way, to live a life that reflects Christ-like virtue or character. So, as you read through these lists, what you begin to see is these virtues are formed in the context of community because they almost all have to do with the quality of our love for one another. Like, it's easy to be patient when I don't have to be around people, right? 
The content of the gospel is the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his son for us. And the way of the gospel is that we love one another as God has loved us. And that kind of love just doesn't come naturally. We learn it, and we learn it primarily in the context of community. Here's the last thing. He says, you follow my aim in life, my purpose. Everybody's got an aim in life. Even if you can't articulate it, we all have some vision or idea of the kind of life we want, and we're all moving toward that end, even if we're not aware of it. We're just, we're wired that way. We can't help but live with some kind of aim. And so when you follow someone, you want to know what is their aim? What gets them out of bed in the morning? What motivates them? And again, there's so many wonderful descriptions of what motivated Paul, but we have one in this letter at the end. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Now, others may not see it that way. Like, people in that time might be hearing Paul say that and go, wait a minute, dude, you're in, you know, jail. So whatever fight you're fighting, it looks like you lost. You may have finished a race, but, bro, I think you finished last. Because Paul's friends have got to be thinking, whatever happened to that guy? Because Paul, I mean, you've got to get this, Paul was at the top of his class. I mean, like, Ivy League number one. Right? He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. When it came to keeping the law, nobody could hold, hold a candle to him. When it came to zeal, nobody had zeal like Paul. He was climbing the ladder to the top and fast. But he was running the wrong race. He wasn't running the gospel race. He was just running the race that everybody runs. He was ahead, but he was just running that race. It turns out, it's often the case that to finish first in that race is to finish last in the gospel race. And many who finish last in the race of life, the rat race, end up finishing first in the gospel race. This is why Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. What he means is everybody's got a vision of of a life and they're pursuing it and Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 the kingdom of God is here. So in light of that, In light of God's presence accessible now through his son, in light of that, should you reconsider what you think life's about? You can turn. You can repent. You can cast that aside and you can find life in the kingdom. It wasn't a condemning message. It was an invitation to life. And then he says, in the kingdom, many who will be first will be last and many who will be last will be first. Here's a man at the end of his life, Paul, and he's telling you what to aim for. Listen to him. He tells Timothy, suffer for the gospel. Don't aim. Don't make your life about comfort and ease. My goodness, how unsatisfying. Live for the mission of God, even if it brings suffering. He tells him, do your best to present yourself Approved unto God. Don't make your aim, don't live your life for the approval of people, for the praise of man. My goodness, how fleeting is that? Live unto God, His praise, His glory. Following means we learn. We learn the content of the gospel, we learn the way of the gospel, we learn the aim of the gospel. 
we have a good friend in town this week. Her name's Tracy, and one of my wife's dearest friends. And the reason my wife loves her so much is because Tracy's ability to just authentically ooze gospel. Just, she thinks it, she speaks it, she prays it. Just in everyday conversation, she's into my house for the last three days. I can't walk through the room without kind of hearing it, right? And this is what my wife loves about her. Just, just her influence in her life. What's, what's crazy is, a few weeks ago, I came across an email. I was looking for something else, and I came across this email from Tracy to me, like, I don't know, a long time ago. This was uh, 2007, so 10 years ago. In the email, so they were going through uh, Gospel Center Life, which is the same curriculum you're going through right now in your small groups. And in it, she was telling a story of, um, of a friend that she was helping, how she was helping a friend apply the gospel to a certain situation in her life. And the reason she could do that is because she had just learned how to do it in her life. Like this material was helping her see some stuff that she could apply, and then she just turned around and helped a friend do that like that week. And then toward the end of the email, she says this, and she says, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to forget like all this stuff that she's learning. She goes, I, I know we need to keep grinding the material into our heads so we, that we don't forget it, but, but how, she asks. She says, I wish I had a little cheat sheet or something. Now, what's nuts to me about that is if you talk to Tracy today, you would get the ooze. Gospel would just be coming out. No cheat sheet. And it, it would shock you to think that she was ever a person who was afraid that she would forget that. Well, how did, how did she get there? She, she devoted herself to learning. Now listen, don't think about where you are right now. Think about where the Spirit of God wants to lead you. Paul says the Spirit of God searches the mind of God. And that Spirit lives inside of you. He is actively at work to bring about godliness in you. Think about what must he be imagining aspiring to do in your life. Don't don't get so caught up in this little leg of the race. Look to the end. Look five years down the road, 25 years down the road, and look to what it will be to be the kind of person to say, I finished the race. God wants to do that in your life. Just got to be a learner. Following is learning, but not just for the sake of learning. Disciples learn in order to do. So this is the last thing. Following means doing. Verse 14. So he's just said, you have followed. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my persecutions, my sufferings. Now he says in verse 14, as for you, continue. So you have followed, but continue following and what you have learned and firmly believed. This word continue means to abide, remain, not to drift or to depart from. So I think what he's saying is the current of our day is is moving and it's not slowing down, it's going and it's wanting to push you downstream. Don't let it do that. And here's how you don't let it do that. Continue in what you have learned, the gospel. Do what you've always done and keep doing it. And so we have a picture of godliness. Right? We, we, we learn what the content and the way and the aim of the gospel is. We see it in Jesus. We see it in Paul. We see it in godly people around us. But here's the question. How do we get there? 
How do we close the gap? Maybe we should read a book about it. Most of our church is like, yeah, that'd be great. Can you suggest a title? Yeah. I don't want to disparage reading. Reading would be a good thing to do, right? But, but you know this. You know you can't think your way into life change, right? So how do you get there? Well, the way we close the gap is by doing. You want to make progress, progress in godliness? Do godly things. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. It doesn't matter if you don't understand all of the theological and philosophical nuances of the thing you're doing. Just do it. Do it because it's good and godly. What I mean is practice. Get better at good and godly things. That's how you close the gap. So Jesus prayed, you should pray. I don't know how to pray. Good news. God has put a lot of people in this church who love to pray. And beyond that, Jesus gave us actual words to pray because the disciples were like, ah, teach me how to do this. He was like, okay, look, here are some words. Say these words. And I think his intention was that they would literally say those words, that they would practice praying these words. Because as they practice praying these words, they start to understand them and see the fruit of this kind of prayer. And they build out that template in their own words. So there are people here that would let you pray with them and who would let you just say the things that they say until you can find your own words. Jesus prayed, just pray. Jesus moved toward people in need. So practice that. Move toward people in need. Talk to the person who no one's talking to. Feed the hungry. Help the down and out. And every time you say that, me included, I think, I don't really know how to do that. Good news. There are a lot of people in this congregation who are really good at this, who are compassionate and merciful and active. And beyond that, some of those people have actually established and helped us establish partnerships in our city to give you clear pathways of how you can move toward people in need. Practice it. I don't know if I'm doing this the right way. It doesn't matter. Just do it. This is how you close the gap. How many times have you heard someone say, I began to serve these people and then I just finally realized it really wasn't about them, it was about me. God was changing me. Well, they had to practice in order to come to that realization. Jesus forgave people, so forgive people. Man, how many opportunities do you have to practice this? What a great one. People are sinful and selfish. So many opportunities to forgive. Get, get married. Forgive every day. If you want practice. Jesus, listen to people. Listen to people. Practice it. Get better at it. If you want to make progress in godliness, you've got to start doing godly things. All right. You got an objection in your head? You should. Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute. Okay, fine, but it seems like it's missing the point. Like, isn't the point relationship with God? I mean, didn't the Pharisees do lots of things, but miss the point of relationship with God? Yes. It's a fair objection. And here's my answer. Yes, it's forced. Yes, it's disciplined, intentional practice. But we practice to play. I was watching my son's basketball practice a few weeks ago. And uh, I just, I love his summer league coach. This guy played point guard for Georgetown, been coaching for 35 years. He's just a great teacher. And at one point in the practice, uh, they were practicing this one specific thing, which was to come out, catch the ball with your outside hand, 
and make a pivot off your right foot and just make a slow turn so that the defense relaxes. And if they relax, you go up and you shoot over them. Just that one simple thing. I leaned over to the dad next to me. I was like, I got 10 bucks. Says nobody does it right the first time. Sure enough, kids coming out doing all kinds of stuff. They couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. Like one kid, get the slow turn, but he had the ball up here. And as soon as he did, the coach just stole it from him. He did it like three times in a row. He was like, if you bring the ball up here, I'm taking it every time. So it's a slow turn, but ball down here in the shooting pocket. Some kids would turn too fast, turn real fast. Coach would be like, what, were you trying to tell him you're going to do something? My kid, Ethan, he loves to, to jab step. So he catches the ball and it's like a jab step. As soon as he does it, the coach says, you just lost your shot. That's an extra step. No shot for you. Three times in a row. He made him do it again. And every single time, just jab step. It's in him. Like his habit is jab step. And he's got to be, he's got to be rewired to do this move right. It's going to take so much practice. He doesn't even understand why he's having to do this. It doesn't matter. Coach is telling you to do this and he knows what he's doing. So they finally, finally, all the kids get the slow turn, ball in the pocket, ready to shoot. Then when they get, when they all get it, then he says, okay, now you've hit a few shots. So now you catch the ball with your outside hand, you pivot on your right foot, you slow turn, and you move one step over, and you get a shot. Because now the defense is creeping up on you, and you got an explosive move. I was like, ah, that's where he's going. I thought the drill was over. No. After they get all that, they grab it, they slow turn, they explosive move. Then they sidestep over, and they get a shot in the lane. Okay, so they all went through that multiple times. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Not done yet. They grab the ball, slow turn. Explosive move, sidestep over, except it's not a sidestep, it's a Euro step, and they get a layup. <laughs> now, doing, figuring out the Euro step for those kids, that took like a half an hour of practice. That whole drill was like, it was a long time. It was like all they did. Why is the coach making them do that over and over? Because when it comes game time, he wants them not even to think about it. When they come off that pick and catch that ball, slow turn just comes naturally, and they're reading it. Defense is relaxed. I got a shot. He's pulling up. I got an explosive move. The guy comes to help. I've got a sidestep. His guy comes to help. I got a Euro step. But you can't stop that. <laughs> right? But they can't be thinking about it in the game. You don't have time to be like, okay, defense is relaxed. I think I'll... No, you just have to do it. It has to be second nature. So Ethan, that, that wasn't enough. Like I, I told him, listen, you need to go to the gym tomorrow and you need to do that exact thing like a hundred times because you got to get it where you're not even thinking about it. Why do you read the Bible every day? Because you got to get it where the Bible's in you and you're not even thinking about it. It's governing your thoughts and your desires and you don't even know it. Why do you, why do you need to pray consistently? Because you got to become the kind of person whose first inclination is to cry out, to God. Why do you got to practice listening? Because you got to be the kind of person who can discern. We practice to play. That's the goal of discipleship. That we become the kind of people who naturally live out the good and godly things of Jesus' teaching without even thinking about it. Now we love that vision, but we don't want to put in the work. This is what spiritual disciplines are. They're not measurements. They're means. We practice as a means to playing. And I want us to be the kind of church that plays. I want us to be a church filled with disciples making disciples who are learning how to live life with Jesus. We've got a long way to go, but there's good news. You have followed. You're here because you have in the past 
learned and followed and done. God's at work in your life. And now the charge is to continue to excel still more. And here's three questions to start. Who are you following? Conversely, who's following you? What are you learning? What are you doing? Like if you make those three questions commonplace in your gospel communities, in your D groups, in your friendships, I think you'll begin to see God form us into a church that's ready to play. Let me pray for us toward that end. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.